Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Screen. My name is Frank Sanchez, and I am your host. And as always, our producer is Kristen Fuller. And I've got a really great guest with me. I have Drew Pierce. Drew Pierce is currently Director of Customer Success at Lightstream, whose mission is to empower anyone to share their love of gaming with a live audience through a powerful video production suite, kick-ass tools, and cool integrations, such as with Microsoft's Mixer platform. But before that, Drew honed the blade of his customer support and service skills for the games industry at places like EA, Tryon, Kixi, and Humble Bundle. And he's also one of the most passionate and determined people I've ever met and worked with. Drew, how's it going tonight, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All deserved, for sure. So... I can't help but notice that when I was poking around, I mean, obviously, uh, I know you a little bit, right? Um, but I like to do my scouting beforehand. And, you know, just poking around at your LinkedIn, LinkedIn profile, I noticed the top, you have a quote that says, that was overheard at Lightstream called, uh, I never knew customer success could be so metal. Um, can you kind of explain um, kind of the context behind that a little bit and uh, and why it is that customer success is really so metal? So so I'm glad you found it, and it's <laughs> so. So this this all came from uh, me and uh, Caitlin, who is our HR coordinator at uh, Lightstream. Who we we were having fun one day and and designing jokes uh, like LinkedIn banners. I don't even know how the, the the conversation began, but you know hers is just as the Leslie Nope of people operations. <laughs> nice. Uh, and I thought that was super sick, and I was laughing about it. She made that one for me, and I was like, that one's not nearly as funny. But it's not like I'm looking for a job right now, so I'm doing it. <laughs> so, so don't know that I can actually say that uh, customer success is super metal. Um, just just depends on the day, I guess. If everything is on fire, that's pretty metal. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, mostly a joke, uh, and I just and I just went with it, and uh, probably going to change that one of these days. But for now, uh, it's it's still making me laugh every time I see it. So it's, it's still- <laughs> you know, I was uh, I was fortunate enough just for the listeners who who uh, aren't aware, I was fortunate enough to visit the office very briefly a couple of months ago. And the office, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call the office metal, right? But like, <laughs> it was, it was uh, very cozy, very homey, very personable. And I think that in many ways, that's kind of an essential skill when it comes to customer service slash customer success, all of those types of positions. And can you kind of speak to me a little bit about how Lightstream kind of takes that sort of focus on the customer and sort of makes it their own, sort of goes above and beyond sort of the call of duty as far as um, how they treat their customers and their clients? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to speak specifically just in the realm of customer success and my team and what we do. I think that just gives a, a specifically there, you know, Lightstream is in general, a lot of it syncs up, but, you know, specifically my team, you know, we're, we're responsible for helping Lightstream users make the most of our products. Um, you know, we want to help people share their vision. Uh, you know, it's, and, and I heard you mention a little earlier, people sharing their love of gaming with the world, but, you know, Lightstream is, is a bit bigger than that. You know, Lightstream Studio is a great place for people who want to do D&D, uh, pod, podcasts, live podcasts, um, you know, and, and, we just think that's super cool. I personally am, am very devoted as an kind of an ex live streamer myself, and going to be getting back into that one of these days. But yeah. um, you know, adding adding overlays to your channel is really essential, and you know that's not it's not super easy. But our goal is to make it easy. Um, but you know, the kind of 
experience we're trying to cultivate for our users is, you know, it is it is supposed to be comfortable. It is supposed to be easy. And and most importantly for me on my team, we want to make it as, you know, as casual as possible. We want to we want to communicate with people the way we think that, you know, people would prefer to be communicated uh, with, I, I guess is a way to say that. But, um, you know, specifically, uh, you know, we, we like to communicate with our users like they're they're our best friends. Um, and, 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 you know, we're sending, we're sending silly gifts while, while we're doing all of this, but, you know, trying to make, we, we're greasing the wheels to, to get people to, you know, make the, make the most of, of what, what we have to offer. And so, you know, you know, everyone brings something different to the table whenever it comes to live streaming. Um, and so streamers should definitely add elements to their stream to represent what they're all about. And, you know, we, uh, you know, in the customer support or success team, uh, you know, we have a, a good amount of firsthand experience doing that. And so being able to offer a, real, a friendly helping hand to help people, you know, represent what they're all about. Um, you know, it, it's it's fulfilling for us and, you know, making it as easy as possible for people and, and then seeing their success and seeing them grow. It's, uh, you know, there's there's no better feeling if you, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, part of the reason why I work in community and have done CS stuff um, and do social media is for that. That little, that little emotional high that you get a little bit when you decide or see that you're, you know, you're going to help somebody, they're having a problem, you know, it seems like they're really frustrated with it. And then you get a win out of it. You know, you, you, you know, break down the problem with them, be empathetic to them, understand what's going on say, Hey, you know what? I'm here to help you. You know, I'm not here to, you know, just, you know, treat you like a ticket and then like ditch you. And then I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm here to ensure that, you know, by the time I'm done, that that you're happy and you're satisfied, and and you know that that feeling, for the most part, it it outdoes all the other stuff that you tend to tend to go through when you're in a front facing position. You know all the all the trials and tribulations. You know that I'm sure that you're familiar with, um, and and that's like that's kind of one of the best feelings in the world. What kind of things have you instilled in your team to kind of help people understand and? and perceive that you're there for them? Like, like, do you have any sort of guiding principles that you use um, that, that you tell your team, hey, you know what, make sure that you're doing this or this or this, or or are there a, is there a general philosophy that you tend to follow when it comes to trying to treat customers like they're, uh, like they mean mean something to you? Yeah, and I, mean, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but but communicating with people like they're your friends is is not I, I, for for the people that I look to 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 work for for me and my and and what I'm trying to accomplish with this support team. I'm looking for a high level of empathy, and you know a lot of that is you know I there's it's about being honest and candid, and it's even even about how you feel. Um, you know, I I encourage everyone on my team to express you know if they aren't familiar with something that someone's talking about, we're not about to bullshit and say, you know, we, we totally understand exactly what mm -hmm. it is you're working with, but you right. know, an, an expression of, Hey, I'm really sorry that you're dealing with that. And, and, you know, I get it myself. I'm a streamer myself because we all are. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then trying to, you know, just, just simply, just simply get, you know, relate. Uh, and if they don't need, they don't need to be related to at the very least, just, you know, and a quick apology because it's, you know, you're, they're trying to do something that they feel so passionate about that they want to dedicate hours and hours and hours. Uh, you know, live streaming is nothing but effort. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the, the least we can do is, is, you know, be a little empathetic and kind whenever, you know, but it, there's no, there's no overarching rule of, of, you know, this is how, you know, you need to express yourself to this user. Everyone's different and everyone prefers to be communicated with different. So I really just encourage my team to be honest uh, more yeah. than anything else. 
you know, I'm, I, you know, I don't know why this is going wrong, but I think I can help you get this sorted out is a really great way of trying to address an issue instead of just saying, here's what you need to do. And, you know, and whether that's actually going to work out or not is, is kind of up in the air. Um, you know, setting expectations right off the bat and just being honest and kind to people is, is huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the one of the one of the best things that you can do is to make yourself relatable, uh, you know, and not in the sense of, you know, it's a temporary thing. No, I think it's more like when people say, hey, I, I when I contact, you know, this company's you know, team and I need support and I need assistance that I'm not just going to be treated like a number or anything like that, that they're like, yeah, you know what, they totally understand what's going on. Or even if they don't, that, you know, they're sympathetic and understanding that, you know, that they're there to, to actually help me. And that's super important, I think, um, to a lot of front facing positions uh, in general. And one thing that I have decided or rather Kristen and I decided when we started this show was we wanted to highlight different places within the industry uh, because a lot of people talk about designers. A lot of people talk about producers. Uh, a lot of people talk about programmers, but very few people, I would say, in my opinion, talk about say QA or uh, customer service mm -hmm. or customer success, uh, talk about uh, backend, backend development, you know, whether the platforming team, infrastructure, those are the kinds of things where, you know, I, I don't know necessarily why people don't necessarily write articles or talk to them, um, but we wanted to highlight, you know, those people um, and those teams because it, I think it's really easy, in some respects, for some gamers to kind of look at, you know, a support team or something like that as like, like the low level tier one sort of deal, you know, and not necessarily take them seriously is a bad word like it, not necessarily like attribute the same value that they would to somebody who is a designer or somebody who is a programmer sure um, so one of my questions to you is uh, how do you feel that uh, you or or even your peers in the industry or uh, can help gamers understand the importance of customer success and customer support teams that they're not just you know, the first line of defense, but rather something that is a linchpin that's important to their player experience? Um, well, you know, if the team that you're, you know, working with, and so let's, let's talk about just working for a game publisher, because that's kind of where you, where you started with this example. Mm, yep. um, you know, so working directly for a studio, uh, you know, there's, I don't know. I don't know what's fundamentally wrong with people's thinking whenever it comes to sort of the the difference between someone who's a, the game developer or uh, you know or or, te or technical support. But there definitely is a, a different paradigm whenever people approach the the two different parties. Although, whether anyone wants to start an argument about who gets it who gets it worse these days, especially when it comes to social media, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the competition that no one really wants to to participate in. But it's definitely um, you know there's there's issues all around but but you know i think that me working for a game developer and and you know signing on board you know there's there are some companies that are hiring people who are, are just there to take the phone call and just there to process a refund or just there to run people through basic troubleshooting but mm -hmm. the majority of these support teams are not the majority of these people are people who are truly bought into what the company is trying to do the game that they're supporting they probably love um, otherwise, they probably wouldn't put up with the, you know, the tedious effort that comes with, you know, back to back phone calls or, or live chats or emails, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so, 
you know, expressing, expressing your passion for, for what you're doing is not always possible whenever someone calls in and they're very unhappy about, you know, why their game isn't working quite right. Their frame rate is super low or it's crashing, um, you know, and, and so I'm not sure what would need to, what needs to change for that. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, and so I don't really have any ad- advice or, or, or suggestions for, for the world to approach it. But I mean, you know, the thing is, is that even if people were approaching it with like a, a rational mindset, the people who are having, you know, the people who, who are mistreating these, uh, you know, whether it's a designer or support, typically they have something going on in their personal lives that, that is causing that sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and abuse generally comes from a place of pain. And so, so, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, uh, having a bad day and it's just, but it's not ever okay to, to abuse a support team. But, you know, when people are, people are bent out of shape, you know, a lot of the time it's because they just don't understand what's going on, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and and as, as a great, a great customer support team can provide support to a user who in even ultimately, if the, if that customer is screwed, say their computer doesn't meet the minimum system requirements, uh, you know, if, as long as you give an explanation in some context, it goes a huge way. People are way less angry. Um, yeah. And so, so, you know, there's no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, what we need to do to shift the paradigm, but yeah, uh, you know, I would love, I would love if, if, you know, people start to, to really realize that, you know, the people supporting these products generally are super passionate about it. It's a huge part of their life and it's what they love and, yeah. and solving issues as a support team uh, is something most of us love as well. You mentioned a little bit earlier, but like, you know, that I think, you know, for me, especially whenever I got started at EA taking phone calls back to back to back, um, you know, I, there was a bit of a, I guess a little dopamine rush every time I solved an issue and it was, you know, 60 calls a day, but every time I took care of something, it was the bad, you know, I'm cloud nine. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, loving what you do uh, in, in a support role, I think it generally comes from, you know, how do I solve this? So most people in support really, truly want to help in solving. So how to, how to, you know, set the tone for that before someone has to reach out? Not, like I said, not too sure, but Mm -hmm. um, I do hope that someday people realize that, that the people who are, who are working in these roles in QA or support or as a designer or anyone else, um, you know, generally it's, it's, they're doing what they love. Uh, hopefully right? yeah yeah i mean i would i would i would imagine so i think there is there is no sort of shortage of passion i think in the industry i think part of the problem and you're right like i don't even have a, a real good solution to you know why people will tend to treat people who work in games not as well as they could you know for whatever reason or whatever context i you know it's it's i think an ongoing issue there's a lot of systemic things in the industry like with any industry that i think could be better could be worked on or, and and could be could be dealt with in a better way and and i think that the level of engagement and the way that we sort of present ourselves to uh the people who we're responsible for ensuring have a good experience is a big part of that. But also, I think it's them understanding what it's like, you know, to be on our side of the fence, you know, not necessarily, you know, getting a job and working here. Because when one one story that I told, I think a few episodes ago was um, when I was working for Star Wars The Republic, and one guy who used to work on the sort of the fan site side of things. And he was like, he's a great guy. And uh, he, he's really awesome, uh, but he was really super critical of the game. And there's nothing wrong with criticism, but I think it was, then he got hired and then we actually brought him in the studio. And then I said, hey, what do you think? Like, 
during his first week. He's like, I was completely wrong on everything. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and I said, don't apologize. Like, you know, you just didn't know. You know, you didn't know what it was like from the day to day. You know, why I can't just go out there and say X, Y, Z, you know, without doing this first, you know. And that's the sort of thing where I think there would be some way or some method to try to get people to understand, like, this is what it's like, you know, behind the scenes. Um, this is what it's like for our day to day. It's not like it's not like unlike any of the jobs that somebody who is a gamer who works, you know, and, and has to deal with potentially have to deal with customers, potentially have to deal with people who aren't aren't happier or themselves having a bad day. And so um, we'll see where we get from there. But I, I think awareness is a big part of it, um, which is why it, it's really cool to have you know people like you on the show for sure. Um, so recently you went on, you went to TwitchCon and I think that was your first TwitchCon, right? You you hadn't been before? Well, it's the first one I ever worked. I did attend TwitchCon numero uno. And, uh, you know, that was right, a, right, a right. small endeavor for, for but, it, you know, it was a nice proof of, proof of concept for them. Uh, but it was yeah, the yeah. first time I had ever worked one. And I had no idea how <laughs> how much it had grown uh, in just right. a few short years. But, yeah, that was a that was a wild ride uh, and, <laughs> and so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to kind of ask you, what did people, because I know that you were working the booth for a while. So what did, what did people kind of uh, come to the booth, like wondering, you know, what, what light, what Lightstream was or who you guys were and what did you do in, in order to sort of like sort of bring them into the fold and educate them a little bit and, and le have them leaving feeling, you know, a little bit more educated and potentially a little bit more excited about, uh, about what you guys do and, and what you're doing for, for live streamers. Sure. So um, it's, I do want to specifically say my role at this recent TwitchCon uh, was actually demoing our product Arsenal. Um, mm. And so, so, you know, I was working the Arsenal side of the booth and I recently just took over uh, the customer success team for Arsenal as well. Um, and, and uh, you know, that, that, that's the question. What's Arsenal? Right, uh, right. We'll roll up and they're like, what, what is this? Is this Lightstream? Yeah, we, uh, we, you know, we acquired Arsenal back in February and, mm -hmm. you know, our whole mission, you know, empowering you know people who are just getting started in, in live streaming to really make the most of their of their time and efforts um you know that like i said earlier streaming is nothing but effort and mm -hmm. you know we we want to to make it so people are maximizing their time and uh you know so so being able to show somebody look here's this historical data for your live stream and now you can break it down by your last all your live streams to compare uh you know uh how many viewers you had, kind of what your engagement looked like, um, you know, minutes watched is now a, a figure that companies are familiar with and, and have some frame of reference for whenever it comes to engagement. And and so being able to, to show, look, you can look at your last stream and the stream before that side by side and look at the behavior of your audience and how many viewers you had at any specific time based on what you were doing, what game you were streaming. Uh, and, and to really start to understand your audience a lot more than just anecdotally, you know, now you can actually see what what's going on. Are people are people tuning in whenever I'm chatting or are they slowly leaving and they would really rather me not run my mouth and just get to the damn game. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, you know, there was a there's a whole lot to be said for for showing somebody, look, here's this here's. Here's this you playing this game. This is how many minutes uh, viewers watched of it. Uh, you know, this is your your average viewers. This is your peak viewers, and now compare that to the other games you're playing. Um, you know, something. Uh, 
I had a hard time with whenever I was streaming regularly was really understanding what I should be doing. Uh, you know, I could say, well, I, you know, I feel like I have more viewers whenever I'm streaming, you know, layers of fear versus suddenly I switch over to Overwatch and I lose everybody. You know, should I, was I gaining yeah. viewers while I was playing Overwatch? Are people just not used to it? Am I cultivating a new audience? What's going on? Uh, you know, and so just be fi- blind completely. Uh, you know, but on top of that, you know, Arsenal, I do, and I do, sorry, sorry for the plug, but I do want to mention really fast. Oh, no. Yeah, feel free. Uh, you know, we also, not only is, is Arsenal for live streaming analytics, but it's also for, you know, starting to build those relationships with, with game publishers and developers. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is a, a, the other ma- massive challenge for me as a live streamer. Uh, and so we offer key campaigns through Arsenal where streamers can actually just apply to any, any game we have as a campaign that we set up with the, de- the publisher. Uh, and to then get a free key so they can say, hey, look, here's what I'm about. You can take a look at my live streaming stats. So there's really uh, a, a lot of honesty involved because you can't really, you can't fake your stats. Uh, yep, and yep. so, so, you know, there, we've just fostered a, a much nicer environment for developers, publishers, and streamers to interact with each other. Uh, and, and for people to get free games to be able to stream them because, you know, not, not everybody's running on Ninja's budget. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Who, who is really though? <laughs> it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know what, you know, what's interesting and it's, it's funny because I think this year in particular, you know, with Ninja and then Shroud afterwards, and I know you guys have a, uh, a pretty good relationship with Mixer, that platform and all that. What, how, how have you seen the, uh, the sort of live streaming landscape change from your opinion, you know, watching these sort of big name streamers come over to Mixer and potentially have a chance to, to work with your tool set, your suite and everything like that. How has it changed just this year as opposed to say last year uh, when, you know, I, I honestly think that, you know, a lot of people, well, maybe, maybe people, people do still think this and I mean, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong that, you know, Twitch is the only game in town when it isn't necessarily the case anymore. So, so what's, what's changed kind of in the, in the last, uh, in the last year or so from a live streaming perspective, I'm um, working at the place that you do. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it just a moment ago. I think that, you know, the rise of Mixer has just shown, shown the world that there's room for more than one platform. Uh, you know, everyone thought that it, Twitch is going to be the the only place people go to watch people stream games. Uh, mm. And that was it. You know, YouTube failed. So clearly no one else is going to nail it. And, <laughs> right. And, and uh, you know, and, and Mixer has definitely shown that that is simply not true. And, you know, I don't know necessarily, you know, besides besides just adding like a personal fun flavor to live streaming, Mixer's done a pretty great job of, uh, you know, but also just having such a, a diverse audience i don't know how they tapped into it either but i mean the difference mm-hmm. between you know how people are engaging with streamers on twitch and mixer is very noticeably different uh you know and one thing we do know now having having more data about live streaming in the last nine years uh, is that you know smaller communities smaller channels are much more highly engaged right uh, and mixer is truly maximizing on that i mean in if you go into a giant twitch channel you know chat is flying by uh, yeah and, of course, you know, and people hop in and they hop out. But on Mixer, it seems to be, you know, 5, 10, 15 people, 30 people, 50 people for some of the bigger ones uh, outside sure. of the larger partners. Um, you know, but those those are the channels where people are chatting actively. Those people are much more likely to buy the game that that streamer is streaming because they're having a fun time. They're interacting with the streamer. And, you know, and Mixer's just done a really great job of, of tapping into this sort of diverse group of people who are you know there's a lot of artists and stuff like that on on mixer that i've seen you know doing some some unique stuff and and while twitch has plenty of that as well uh you know i just think some somehow magically and i don't know that it's just the 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 microsoft touch but 
you know, mm-hmm. they, they've really, they've really built something unique there. And, and I, I think that we're only going to see this escalate. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it looks, it's only, they're only, they're catching fire right now, honestly, with, with all these moves and, and uh, it's been pretty great for them. It's been pretty great for us. And, and just honestly, as a, as a member of the community for so long now, I just, lo- I love to see the, uh, the competition, but it's creating a lot of opportunities for streamers. Yeah. And that, uh, I, may, I think now more than ever is there's smaller streamers have a larger opportunity to, to create success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people, when, when I was talking to somebody from, uh, who came from the YouTube world, like, uh, uh quite a few, uh, months ago and quite a few episodes ago, I talked with someone who built their following primarily, primarily on YouTube. And he had expressed a little bit of sort of frustration at trying to understand how the, how the algorithm worked, how you, how you built engagement and how you built an audience, how you, how you managed to get views without compromising the, the quality of your own content. And so when you mentioned uh, what Arsenal does, for example, uh, about a few minutes ago, what came out of my mind was just like, wow, you know what? There's actually some logic to understanding your audience when it comes to live streaming. It's not just, okay, I posted the video 10 minutes after, you know, the thing that I was reacting to was posted. So therefore I get the most clicks. No, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of a different level of philosophy to trying to understand how to build your audience in live streaming that, that would be less frustrating, I think, um, (laughs) than trying to figure out YouTube uh, and, and everything that's been, been done there. And so it's, it's super interesting to hear that, that kind of insight from you, because the idea that, that I think most people who try to get on live streaming is, is it feels like it's a little bit too intimidating that they're not going to be able to break in, you know, kind of break out into that, that sort of, uh, you know, large audience or whatever goal that they've set for themselves from a live streaming standpoint or a goal standpoint, but that it is possible depending on, you know, the tools that you have uh, and the things that you have in front of you. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I wanted to ask you, and we'll get to you, we'll get to your, the journey here in a little bit but i wanted to ask you when you stepped into this position at, at lightstream what was like one thing that kind of just blew your mind uh that that was like a learning moment for you that you were like oh my god like i actually didn't realize xyz you know before i i got this position was there was there a moment like that for you um when you picked up this this sort of director of customer success position well you know not a not a whole lot. Because, well, frankly, you know, I got a lot of a lot of insight from Stu as he was, you know, began this conversation with me, kind of mm-hmm. about what what challenges Lightstream is facing. There was a lot of honesty about that, and a lot of a lot of challenges that the industry is facing. And uh, you know, so I didn't, I definitely didn't come in blind. I came, I came in really understanding the challenge ahead and, and what's going on in the in the streaming world. I, I had been separate for a little while, you know, moving mm-hmm. back to Hubble Bundle and and was you know loving life, and that was fine and dandy. But you know, live streaming is a is a very competitive landscape, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I I I will say I didn't realize just how much uh, stir Mixer was causing, uh, yeah. and just in the whole in the whole industry. Um, you know, but there's just so, so much variety for, for streamers. I guess that, that did surprise me a little bit. You know, I, I had truly had a, a narrow, fo- narrow understanding of the kind of content people were creating before I, mm-hmm. I signed back on. And, you know, I, it's super, it's super rad. Uh, you know, everybody, <laughs> everybody's got this, you know, everyone brings something different to the table, uh, you know, and, and there's just so much room for, 
for creativity and people to add their own perspective. And, and, you know, people are eating it up. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, a guy who I'm just going to call him out. Uh, he goes by Grim or Lord Grim streams mm-hmm. in a, uh, a Grim Reaper outfit. And it's like 50% gaming, 50% just absolutely shredding on the guitar. <laughs> and he's always, <laughs> and he's always right. in character. And there's the countless people like that. Um, yeah. You know, but, you know, I just didn't know that there was a huge community. There are huge communities on Facebook uh, mm-hmm. that, that people are streaming to for for thousands of, of dog groomers, for example. There's a private group on Facebook with like 30,000 dog groomers that dog groomers stream spe- like exclusively to. So it's, it's dog huh. groomers streaming to dog groomers and, you know, sharing techniques and, and knowledge about, about you know, the, the process or the industry or whatever. And I, you know, I, I did get a chance to pick someone's brain about that was like my first week. And it turns out that, you know, the dog grooming thing, just to, to, wrap, to wrap that up is apparently, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about, about how dog grooming appears to people who aren't dog groomers. Uh, uh, and so they don't want that out in the open because some people might believe like that. Look, that's abusive. Well, that's actually not going to hurt that dog. But, you know, but right. it might be perceived wrong. And so so they're protecting themselves, but they're still sharing that content with thousands of people. But I just had no idea that the, the truly the scope and variety of what pe- content people are creating. Uh, and, I, and I eat it up. It's I love it. Yeah, I you know what? I I I honestly wish that I actually had more time to consume more content. Like usually the way that I deal with things like when you know with my schedule is that you know sometimes i'll have a live stream open maybe in the background or something like that maybe i'll take up uh, a live stream over lunch or something like that but i didn't realize sort of the the kind of just vast variety of content out there that has expanded and exploded beyond just games in the last like just in the last year or so you know i mean i i think that there is there are a lot of creative people out there and there are a lot of people out there that you know, create a lot of unique content that isn't what people are necessarily expecting, and and it's it's super cool. Uh, the uh, a person that I that I interviewed maybe three episodes or so ago, you know, she has uh, she has this you know unfortunate sort of physical condition that sort of limits her mobility, but she's created this really cool live streaming community around you know going going around to the game of her choice and sort of you know taking. The best screenshot that she can and then working with uh, the audience in order to create like you know like a f- photographic album basically of you know the landscape or the the setting in the game and, and stuff like that and posting cool. those up and i was like wow that's that's so awesome and like the the stream is like the chillest stream i've probably ever been in you know and so it's 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 really interesting just to see you know people who it's not just like people being empowered by the fact that they can create content. It's the fact that they are empowered despite or, or, um, you know, or in lieu of this, any situation where they wouldn't necessarily have that opportunity. And, and I think that's probably the best part of live streaming uh, in general, you know, and I think there's just so much out there and I think it can get intimidating for people, but I think there's a lot of opportunity there too, which is really cool. That's um, exactly what drove me, you know, into Lightstream. Uh, yeah. you know, I realized the opportunities it was creating for people, uh, especially after Stu really explained, you know, the current landscape. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's just too, too cool that somebody who, who might have a chronic illness where they're, you know, they're tired all the time can, can, you know, not just create income, but to have an audience and to, to share your passions with other people who are just as passionate about what you do, whether it's playing a game or carving soap on stream, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. there's so, there's so much to be shared and, and, I, you know, connecting people in that way is just, it's heartwarming. Uh, you know, it's encouraging. 
Uh, and it's, and it's beneficial for everyone involved. I don't know that anyone is, you know, besides people who perhaps are fostering unhealthy habits, it's not hurting anyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think more people should be live streaming period. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't think we'd get, <laughs> we'd get, we get a lot more, a lot more varied content and a lot more uh, interesting opportunities for sure. Um, sure. In the, in the mediums that we've had. So I want to talk a little bit about how you got to where you're at today and sort of how that journey began. And so, you know, we had the opportunity, obviously, to meet a couple of months ago, which is really cool. Got to do that again at some point, of course. Absolutely. And and um, I want to kind of pick your brain and sort of understand how you kind of got into the industry and how you got to the point where you got these opportunities. So was there any kind of sort of flashpoint moment where you had an opportunity through a friend or, you know, some kind of, you know, happenstance or coincidence? Or was it something where you were like, hey, you know, this is something that I want to do? Um, where did your just sort of journey start in, in games and how did you kind of start on the path basically is what I'm asking. Yeah. So this pretty much fell on top of me. I was, I, <laughs> I, you know, I was 18, had just gotten out of high school, you know, I was still working at hot topic. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it, and, and, you know, that's, that's fine. But as I, it became very apparent to me as an adult that that was not going to be sustainable. <laughs> and it was, be good for me mentally financially uh, you know all of that and and right. fortunately you know my big brother had you know just recently got a position at the call center for ea in austin and mm. so he pretty much just dragged me into it he uh you know he he grabbed his boss and he said hey you need to hire my little brother you know he knows he knows what he's talking about you know he, he's playing on his computer all damn day so why don't you uh why don't we hire him and, you know, I, I got the job. <laughs> the interview was extremely short and very surprisingly so uh, <laughs> simply because the the uh, supervisor who was interviewing me, you know, he asked me a simple question like, you know, this this. So say a customer is calling in and their Sims game is crashing and it gives you an error code that just is a bunch of zeros. What do you do? And I was like, uh, I mean, I might just grab that error, Google it. And he was like, yeah, you're hired. <laughs> that, that was enough and uh, boy did i it, that, honestly though not a bad way to operate uh, if yeah. someone's first inclination in technical support is to just google it you know I, if more people's first inclination was to just google an error message we'd probably be out of the job but, <laughs> right uh, you know but but you know that just kind of fell on me and I, my big brother actually kind of dragged me along for the first couple years of my career uh, he mm -hmm. left from ea to go to try on worlds to work on rift before it launched and mm -hmm. so as rift was getting ready to launch he did the same thing he he grabbed his manager and he was like hey you need to hire my little, my little brother. He now he knows exactly what he's talking about. He moved from tier one customer support to tier three customer support in mm -hmm. less than a year. Uh, you know, he, he clearly, he clearly enjoys this. So let, let's bring him on. So, so I did. And I actually took his position and he went, moved into another role uh, yep. and, and that, that continued. He ended up being, you know, a manager for the department uh, and trained me up to do the same thing. Uh, you know, and so, I can thank my big brother for most of it. Kevin, you're amazing if you're, if you're listening to this, but uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was definitely not something that I, I had established as something, you know, I, I would do in the, apparently in the second grade, I had, had filled out a little worksheet where, uh, you know, the, the paper was like, what do you want to do whenever you grow up? And I said, I want to work in video games. And <laughs> I remember my mother, you know, shared with me that, you know, her and my father had looked at that and they're like, that's not going to happen. Oh, <laughs> and, God. So, so whenever they they dug that paper up and, and were like, well, we we were definitely wrong here. Uh, 
you know, that was that was cool. But, you know, it wasn't like I'm going to work in video games. It was like I was at, co- at community college taking like one class working a hot topic. It, I was just like taking basic history or something. And uh, and this just kind of just landed and was like, yeah, that's actually super sick. And this is what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there was definitely there's definitely no, you know, predetermined like I'm, I'm going to get there. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it eventually became apparent to me that I was going to stick with it. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. There's a serendipity, honestly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I I get the question and I'm sure you do occasionally, too. You know, when people are like, oh, my God, you work in games. How do I get how do I get to work in games? And I'm like, well, there is a certain sense of, you know, determination and, you know, an attitude that goes with it. But you'd be surprised at how much luck just kind of and coincidence kind of just happens to to play into it because, you know, there was I think I was I was interviewing somebody before and like literally there was one elevator trip that they happened to take with somebody else who just happened to be working in a department that they were interested in working in, you know, and they were like, oh, they got to talking because they were both into you know, the, the person was working in 3D rigging. And, you know, the the person that I was interviewing was, you know, college, college educated in 3D, uh, 3D art and 3D rigging, but hadn't been able to land a position anywhere. And, you know, after the elevator ride, they got an interview and they got a job. And I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that is that is not like a movie worthy story, but it is an excellent story about how people get into games because like and, and there's like tons of stories like that. Um, so to hear that you were like, yeah, you know what? You know, my my big brother was like, you got to hire my little brother. He's kick ass. He's rad. He could do the job and he knows how to Google stuff. Perfect. Yeah. Done. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I get that question too. You know, what, how do, how do I do this? And I, I'm like, I'm afraid I did it the hard way. You know, it was, it wasn't hard me breaking into it. Like I said, that kind of landed on me, but, but right. you know, I, I don't know the other paths. You know, I know, I know plenty of people who went to full sale Academy and got desi- uh, degrees in game design and right. you know, they're, they're not working in games. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, there's definitely like I could say like well I probably know where I can get you in as a tier one taking phone calls uh, yeah. but you know right. I don't know that that's what you want to do you know now I've been doing this for ten years yeah uh, and and you know it 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 was a lot of hard work to get where I am and it wasn't there was no degree involved there was no you know structured plan I just kind of went along and and kept trying to improve and being honest with myself and just kind of landed here yeah so, you know the- stuff. <laughs> yeah oh no but but see the thing is is that i really feel like uh when i was talking i actually uh had a uh, dm exchange with a teacher maybe two weeks ago and they're like teaching you know game design course in montana somewhere and they happen to find a podcast they're like wow these are really cool episodes you know it was really good for the students and i said well you know why primarily because you know obviously i'm always interested in sort of improving the content and ensuring that people are listening to what they're, you know, what they're interested in listening to. And she was like, well, it's because, you know, it isn't just a sort of design and programming show that there are so many different paths into the industry and that there isn't any one path, you know, uh, you mentioned full sale and, and design schools and stuff like that. And that's, that's only one path in the industry. Like I really feel like, and especially for like a front facing set of positions like you or I work in, it's, there isn't really like a, like a, oh, okay, major in this, get your degree in that, and then you're good, you know? And I think there's, there's a lot of different ways to get there. I understand that like the, in, in the path of your progression, like you, you did end up in a lot of sort of lead positions, a lot of management positions and, and, and things like that. And how did you kind of slot yourself in and, and 
have yourself feel comfortable with leading a team of representatives as opposed to, you know, being a tier three or being someone as an individual, you know, where you're working, you know, on your own workload, but somebody who is also responsible for others and trying to make them better. How did you sort of settle into those sort of positions um, when you were a lead, basically? Well, um, you know, I, I, the one thing that was clear to me throughout my career was that, you know, I wanted to lead people and, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't feel comfortable with doing it. I will say that, um, <laughs> you know, I, but, but, you know, growing up and, you know, among my friends, generally for some reason, whether it was in a game, you know, in an MMO or, you know, just as, as a group of friends, for some reason, I kind of just always like the, the mantle of leader kind of just fell on top of me. It was just, it just natural. I just have always loved connecting with other people and, mm-hmm. you know, and, that kind of just an earnest approach to to being social for some reason it just always ended up just you know i'm suddenly i'm in front and you know as as i worked throughout my career i i saw a lot of bad examples and i'm I'm not trying to shit on any specific company but Hmm. you know i I had been led by good people led by people who shouldn't have been in the roles that they were in i saw what the impact of great management was um and actually the very first place that i saw that happen was at hot topic um, you know, and, and I knew the, the good feelings I got from, you know, my managers at the time, Iris and Ellie for, you know, being great leaders, leading by example and treating their employees like people. Um, you know, I knew that I wanted to create those good fuzzy feelings for others. You know, the, people's jobs are, are there is half more than half their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so as I, as I was working throughout my career, I, I knew for sure that I wanted to, to manage people. I wanted to lead people. I wanted to lead a team. Right. Uh, you know, and yeah, I got my first opportunity for that at, at try on worlds for the launch of defiance. And, you know, I, like I said, I, it, I knew I wanted to do it, but boy, as soon as I got it, I made plenty of mistakes. Oh yeah. It was yeah. not comfortable. I was nervous. Giving direct feedback was difficult for me. I was stumbling, choking up. Right. Uh, I made plenty of mistakes with, you know, my communication styles or the things that I, you know, the, the ways I operated, but I, but I learned and, and, you know, being honest was a huge part of at least getting that margin for error. You know, I made mistakes, but you know, as long as you don't screw up people's breaks and money, you generally have a pretty wide, wide margin for error. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, just make sure people get paid and make sure people get the time they need. And, and, you know, going from there, you, you generally get a lot of understanding and, but you know, I, I really did spend a whole lot of time making mistakes and, and learning from others mistakes, but it, not just my own. Uh, but it was, it, it was, it was never, easy yeah. it, it was something i wanted to do but it was never never natural or or it was always something that i had to develop and learn and work really hard at yeah but it's also what gave me the most fulfillment so yeah i mean you know what's you know what's funny is that the people who i i generally talk to who are some of the best leaders some of the best managers and, and stuff like that it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like it, like you were saying, it just kind of fell on top of them. Like they were either in a situation where they had, you know, they had to take the reins and kind of take control and make sure a situation was, you know, was resolved in, in the right way. Or, you know, they just happened to naturally gravitate towards it. And, you know, people noticed that and, and gave them that opportunity and, and stuff like that. Like I, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, and, and there's not, there's not anything wrong with somebody who's seeking and grabbing and seizing that opportunity. Right. But I think there's a lot of uh, different stories that I've listened to from my peers in the industry where it was just like, yeah, you know what? I just, 
I just kind of fell into it a little bit. And, you know, I, I really wanted to do a good job and make sure that everything was excellent as far as like this responsibility goes and, and nobody else was stepping up. And I just had to, you know, take that opportunity and run with it. And, you know, and, and those are the things where it's just like, yeah, you know what, I, I think you, you kind of start from a place of, um, I mean, to, to pun on, on like, you know, a, a later position, you start from a place of humbleness, right? And you just, you kind of learn, you know, as you, as you go and, and what I think what struck me about what you were just talking about was how honest you were about your own mistakes, how honest you were about that it wasn't easy and that you weren't like, you know, that you weren't like, oh my God, I got this completely under control. It's fine. You know, I, I know exactly what to do. No, I, I think a lot of journeys for a lot of professionals who are doing really good work in the industry, it's it's fraught with sort of perilous mistakes and things that you stumble on. Um, and so to, to hear you say that and be honest about that is, is really refreshing, I think, um, to a lot of people who might aspire to those positions. So it's, it's really cool. We worked together at Humble, and I distinctly remember uh, starting out, you know, I was coming off of a, a not so great situation where I was before. Um, and this was the first time that I was joining like a largest team, I think, uh, in a while. I had been working small teams since uh, since Star Wars through Old Republic, or I'd been like the sole person responsible for something or another. Um, what struck me was how comfortable that you made me feel in the first like couple of weeks that I was there. You know, and I was just some guy, you know, like coming in, yeah. not having known anybody except uh, except my boss. And it really struck me how comfortable that and uh, and belonging that you made me feel um, when I was part of the team. And how did you sort of hone those sort of people-focused skills um, and the positions that you've held um, internally? So we've talked a lot about externally, how we treat customers, how we treat end users, how we how we treat players. But how did you get better at making your team and the people who work for you and work under you feel good about? Um, doing what they're doing and and feeling comfortable about and feeling invested in the mission of the company, just like you were. Well, I think a lot of it, um, and this is super cliche to say, but a lot of it comes with recognition. Mm -hmm. uh, right. You know, I I I started at the bottom. I started just taking phone calls and worked my way up, and so I, I get the struggle from most aspects. Um, I can't say I've done every single position, but you know, I. I've, I've worked for a lot of really great people mm -hmm. and I just, I, anytime someone makes me feel good, I never forget it. You know, uh, it, it's, you, you could focus on bad things, but when, when someone makes you feel good, um, you know, that's, it's, it's beautiful. And it's something I've, I just, you know, it's, it's a treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with, with my teams, I just know what made me feel unwelcome. And, you know, advocating for the team, advocating for customers, it, it, you can do both quite easily uh, as long as you just, you know, keep keep others in mind. Um, you know, there's plenty of risk as a leader to, for, you know, your employees actions and ultimately ending up being your responsibility. And, you know, a lot of people fear the repercussions of, of mistakes. Mm. And I managed to work for some really brilliant people who showed me that it's okay to make mistakes as long as you own up to it and try and get better. And, you know, so that level of understanding, uh, it, it goes a long way. And, and, you know, so trying to just, you know, 
assuming good intentions mm-hmm. is a big part of it. Right. Um, you know, as as you came on and, you know, I, I had no information about who you were other than, you know, that you were you were remote and not in, in San Francisco, not in Austin. Right. Um, but you were there to help. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of respect for you right off the bat just because, you know, I'm looking through the queue. I'm looking at how how tickets are being answered. And I, I was seeing the way you were communicating. Uh, and it was and it was very earnest and it was very uh, you know user focused and and you know I respect that a lot and so you know it was it was very easy to to be like I like that Frank guy, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah you know there, it just really uh, you can connect with people and you can and show kindness and be a human being uh, and still be a great leader in a in a corporate sense and and accomplishing goals and all of that stuff and people are going to want to help you accomplish those goals if you're cool about it yeah yeah <laughs> the kind of the long and short of it so yeah um, my advice to anyone who wants to to you know be a leader and, and to to take on a, a huge challenge and, and manage a new team or something it's you know just be cool <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i I've had the opportunity to work for so many cool people uh, at the positions that I've worked in. Obviously, you're super aware of all the all the cool people at Humble, of course. Um, you know, I, I don't want to name names because we're just going to totally forget somebody. Um, but like the, you know, everybody I think who has been a really good leader in my perception is the kind of person who doesn't push people down and rise themselves up, you know, they kind of pull people up with them, make them as good and as cool and as amazing as they were, you know, because that's just to the benefit of everybody, you know, and not just to the benefit of the lead. And so, I mean, I think those are the, those I think are are really good leadership qualities and uh, you definitely exude those for sure. I don't know who said it, but you know, the, the quality of a a leader should be measured by how many leaders they help create. Oh yeah. Uh, and so focusing on helping other people hone their skills will only help you get better. Yeah. Uh, and probably maybe even more so than if you're just focused on your own actions, but, you know, seeing how others are doing it, helping guide them and, and help them improve, you know, not only is it going to, is it going to help the whole team, but it really is, you know, teaching is one of the best ways to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just, just lifting other people up, helping them get where they want to go. Uh, it's going to be huge for you. It's going to get you where you want to go most times. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, absolutely. I I really think that in in the kind of in the kind of a world that we live in right now where it's very polarized and it's very difficult for for some people to see that helping other people helps themselves. Like I think in any industry like games or in any kind of position where you have the opportunity to do that and make your team better, that's definitely the right attitude to go and you know, because it just makes everybody better. It's just a, it's just the long and short of it. Um, so that's really cool to hear. Uh, besides your big brother, do you have anybody else that uh, that you feel has been a huge influence in sort of your career development, or you know, has kind of pushed you and and made you better? Um, I know you mentioned Stu before um, in your current position um, and stuff like that. But do you have anybody else that you think like sort of really gave you a boost and and kind of uh, put you where where you're at today and contributed heavily to that? Sure. So, you know, you and I both know him, Michael Parks, who was our, our manager and leader at Humble Bundle for a while. Yep. Um, he he taught he truly demonstrated to me that you can you can I aggressively chop at your goal, at, at your, the workload uh, and just kick some ass and still be a human being 
at all times. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he, he he demonstrated to me through his own actions and his words that you you can uh, you know you can stand face to face with with you know somebody making a decision that negatively impacts your team and die on that hill, and it's worth it as long as you're protecting your people and you know what you're doing is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I unfortunately in my pre in previous um, positions have sometimes had to compromise you know my what I feel is my integrity or, or my my ethos to to keep my position there you know there are strict management guidelines at some companies that you know require you penalize somebody for an attendance issue that was completely outside of their their you know uh, ability to to change and you know Michael Parks showed me that that's just you do, it doesn't have to be that way mm-hmm. uh, and you can you can aggressively fight for your team, and it's on, only ever going to benefit you. Yeah. Uh, even if he, even if it somehow you know winds you out of a job, doing the right thing is going to is going to stick um, with those people. And the people you aggressively fight for, they're going to remember you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, he fought he fought for me, and I'm never going to forget him. Uh, yeah, you know. It, it, but you know that just staunch, un like fearless, unrelenting. Uh, you know, fight to, to protect your people. I, I learned a lot of that from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's the kind of ethos I employ now with my own team. Mm-hmm. And I, I try and prove that to myself and to my team as much as possible. Yeah. I've, he fought for me too. You know, uh, yeah. he, he gave me a parachute when he didn't have to. And, you know, he, he is a guy who I know like cares almost to the point of, you know, his own detriment, you know, from a, from whatever perspective to uh, ensure that his team is protected and that his team is at the forefront of anything that, you know, he decides or does. So yeah, absolutely. Parks is great. <laughs> he's, he's yeah. a great, he's a great guy. Anybody else that you, you can think of or. I, I hope that someone who believes that they should be named right now isn't listening, <laughs> but but you know those stand stand out the most. I think um, if I had to name another one, and this is another uh, humble bundle example, is yeah. Charles Magnuson, who I don't believe has a very strong social media presence. But you know he came from Twitter and he managed the customer support team at Humble Bundle for a few years. Oh yeah, yeah cool. And uh, you know his efforts, what he showed me, and and what I learned working uh, alongside him was that there's always room for customer support teams to grow. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that find what works and they stick with it and that's it. Uh, but I, I was shown firsthand that you can always develop your team and develop your department and develop your resources to get better and better and better. And it's, and it's a, one of those things that never ends, mm-hmm. uh, at least not for me now that I've adopted that same strategy. You know, we will always continue to, to build uh, new awesome things to help the team support customers and for customers to help themselves um, and to help the product along, uh, you know, just a, an, an aggressive approach to improvement. Uh, and, and that's something that I, I admire a whole lot. And it's something that I've emulated as much as possible. Um, you know, my team is constantly, we're constantly on some project and, and working outside of just answering customers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just there's no reason other than laziness to just say, you know, this is this is good enough mm-hmm. uh, and, and leave it there. Um, if you're if you're constantly improving, you're constantly developing your team's talents, you're helping create grow those leaders uh, and, you know, and, it, and it'll benefit you even more. But um, it's just also a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Even, even when, even when it's uh, on the worst of days, I think that there are, there's a certain sense of camaraderie that gets built between teams when that happens. Um, and and it, it could be turned into a positive for sure. You know, everybody, everybody looks back at, Oh my God, do you guys remember that one blah, blah, blah incident or whatever? Oh my God, it was terrible. But everybody got through it together, which was the important yeah. part. Um, and it was, it was plenty of those. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to remember too many of them, but yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm curious about, you know, where you're at now, um, doing what you're doing at Lightstream, um, having achieved the things that you do sort of, what are your goals moving forward in the next like couple of years, uh, as far as, you know, either improving yourself, improving the position, the company that you're at, um, what do you, what are you kind of driving at in the next like few years, either for yourself or, or for the, uh, or for Lightstream or, or for just anything really, um, in terms of your career? Well, I, I want to continue to try and break the mold for for what customer support teams are, are expected to to be capable of and to, to and how they can be managed. Uh, you know, obviously what would be the absolute dream is twenty four hours, seven days a week. So mm-hmm. that's something that, that, you know, we we sit around and dream of and talk about as if it you know, it's it's the the fantasy that we've all wanted forever. And, and it is for me. I, I truly want to be able to help anyone at any time uh, and make it just absolutely fucking awesome. Mm. Uh, and so that's a, that's a big goal for me. But, you know, when I said a moment ago, you know, breaking the mold of, of you know, this is how customer support teams have to be run. Um, you know, I want to, to show that we can, we can support a product successfully while also giving our teams, uh, the, the freedom to explore their passions, um, to help, to help customers to, to the best of their abilities. Um, you know, I just really want, I mean, I would love just a, a, a massive team. We got less than, you know, you, you, you submit a ticket and someone answers you in 15 seconds. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I just maybe it's just aggressive ambition uh that that is just programmed into me now but Mm -hmm. you know there's there's just so much more uh that i want to do and and i don't know that i'll ever be satiated in that regard Mm -hmm. um you know but i i mean the the bigger the better when it comes to to operations and what i want to achieve for my teams Mm -hmm. um you know i want to have i want to have 100 customer service agents and i want everybody to be uh you know top notch uh you know i just want uh, but really, you know, this, the, our approach at, at Lightstream, you know, communicating with people as if they're, they're our best friends and, uh, you know, but their mother's in the room, right? Sure. You know, you're, not, <laughs> you're not, you're not crossing any, any lines, but, right. but, um, you know, but, but being able to like hop into somebody's stream and, and watch and really get an understanding of what they're doing and, and dedicate a lot of their time to just, you know, really understanding what it is that the, the person that they're interacting with wants to accomplish and then just having every possible resource available to them to help them make that happen uh, it'll be it's just super fulfilling for for the agent involved it's super fulfilling for the person who's accomplishing their dreams because they had a helping hand mm-hmm. uh, and you know i just want to i want to see that grow i want to nurture that and you know i, I want to prove that you can you can do that without following a formula, without you know penalizing people for real life circumstances that are out of their control, and and you know just truly advocating for for the team and and showing them that that's the way things can be run, and 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 hopefully that that you know lives on for posterity, and and people take that with them, and then take it to their teams, and maybe we can you know start to heal the industry a little bit because you know 
I, I'm sure you're aware, and and I I, I sad sadly to say I, I don't know many people who've worked in games that haven't been laid off at least like once or twice. Oh yeah, sure. And and I think that if customer support can and customer success can really execute the vision that I have um, with just with just incredible you know capability and and uh, you know just really delivering a a fun and lighthearted but helpful experience without without conforming to old school beliefs that you know that that employees need to be treated like children and, and fit into some specific mold mm-hmm. uh, you know I want I want my teams to feel comfortable and happy and and help users feel comfortable and happy and you know I could ramble on and on as an idealist but you know I really just want to create happy effective teams uh, and and just you know per, per, provide for the rest of the company the right. ability to know that customer support has has their backs like customer success team is going to be working aggressively to help people maximize on the products they're developing i think it's it just it should hopefully um, you know provide some some stress relief around you know developing products supporting those products uh, planning new products just knowing that that the, the customer success team will, will back them up and, and help people really understand the, the scope of the things that we're providing. Yeah, very cool. I mean, I you know what's funny is that I was I was about to I was about to ask another other question, and then you totally answered it when you were uh, when you were just talking just now. Which is, I was I was curious about what legacy you feel like you want to leave uh, by the time that you. Uh, by the time you leave the industry. And I think you kind of answered it just in the last like two minutes. Like you just, you know, you wanted to make sure that, you know, the, that, that, you know, the experience for the customer is, is really great that you have a certain level of excellence that you instill in your agent agents um, that, you know, the companies that you, that you work for have, you know, an understanding about how important customer service is and how important customer support and success is. Um, so yeah, I mean, unless you have anything to add to that, that is definitely the answer to the next oh, question I have. Um, that's pretty much it. You know, I, anybody that works for me will, will, I think attest to the fact that, you know, I, I just want what's best for them because I know that whatever is best for them, um, is going to let them do their very best at work and, and they'll be happy and live, lead, you know, happy lives, um, one of the simplest recipes for human happiness is making someone else happy. And we have every opportunity to do that all the damn time in customer success. Um, You know, and, and so it's almost a selfish, it it could almost be perceived as selfish to to go out, you know, I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to go help someone do something. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's so good for you as a human to, and for, for me, I know firsthand and, and have for quite a while that it's just, it's so, so easy to put a smile on my face by putting a smile on someone else's. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know what I, I, it's, it's like we were talking about like maybe almost an hour ago and it's just like part of the reason why community, us community people are still around. is just because of that. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's that one small moment in like a whole bunch of different, you know, different difficulties during a particular day that keeps us going. Um, that doesn't mean there isn't a high level of burnout, uh, in our positions because oh, there is right. super, super large amount. But I think, a lot of that sort of positive reinforcement um, that's inward really helps a lot. Um, and the core of that is, is making sure that the, the company environment is, and the team environment is, is conducive to that. So it's definitely something that uh, I know that uh, you're doing with your team. So it's really cool to hear. 
so uh, to end the episode, I'd like to you know hit hit up the bonus round a little bit. It's just a bunch of quick questions, just to you know after all the serious and heavy stuff that we talked about, just some some randomness uh, to kind of end the episode. Um, Sounds good. Kind of do that. So tell me, uh, what is a word that you rely on all the time and you say too much? <laughs> cool <laughs> is the word. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's, it's, there's so much variety. I'm like, cool. <laughs> um, you know, but anytime someone's telling me about something that I'm really uninterested, I'm like, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but it's, yeah, that's, that's one I use far too much, uh, aside from my proclivity for swearing. <laughs> Eddie, obviously, as you, as you've probably seen in this podcast, nothing is, no, no profanity is sacred here. It's, it's completely fine. Um, totally with that. <laughs> Uh, I've, you know what, I, I've watched way too, way too much of Supernatural lately, if you've ever heard of that show. And yeah. I've, uh, I've unfortunately adopted like awesome, which is just unfortunate just because like one of the two main protagonists uses awesome all the time, whether, whether things are bad or whether, whether things are good or, you know, whether shit's going to hit the fan, he's just like awesome. And so that I totally, I, I'm like totally using that word a lot um and so i i get that but cool is kind of like this universal word i don't think that's ever going to go out of style you know you see you hear about you hear about other words and and they're just not cool to say anymore but cool is always awesome to say so (laughs) there you go um tell me what your favorite color is and why uh that would be green specifically like a slimy green nice uh and and why i don't know maybe uh I don't know. Maybe I just listen to too much death metal and the, the <laughs> whole aesthetic of gross stuff is, is, you know, so common, but uh, yeah, I do love a slimy green. <laughs> so uh, one thing that I wanted to, to call out real quick during the bonus round is your affinity for horror movies. And mm. I would like you to tell me what is the best horror movie to watch on Halloween and why? Ooh, best Halloween movie, or best horror movie to watch on Halloween. Yeah, uh, that's such a huge question. I know, I, right? I was not was one hundred percent not prepared for that one. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Like because there's just there are so damn many. Right. Uh, well, let's let's contextualize a little bit. Let's say that you're you're helping plan a Halloween party, and they're like, "Dude, I need to have something playing that's really really great. That is, you know, one of the one of the best horror movies ever." You know, which one would that be? You know, I, I've got guests who aren't really used to, to like Halloween parties with with a lot of horror stuff. Like what what would be the one thing? One or I even two. It. You got it? You got I, it? I think I got it. It's gotta be Reanimator. Nice. Uh, you know, Reanimator is just such an iconic film and you know, Do- Dr. Herbert West with his re- reagent, that slime green that I love. So maybe it's maybe it's Reanimator where this this came from originally. It is my favorite huh. horror movie. But, okay. but, you know, bringing, bringing things back to life and then studying what happens after you've conquered death. And he's, he just got all these great one-liners uh, and, and, you know, there's just a, a, an awesome Halloween vibe to all of it. You know, there's, it's lacking a lot of the supernatural witchy stuff, but man, it is, that's, I mean, to me, whenever I, on Halloween, that's pretty much what I'm feeling. That's what I, I'm going to watch. And there's, but there's a, a ton of other, like I said, that's a huge question. You've got like, you know, the witch is a, a, a modern, I'd, I'd say for, for great Halloween horror. Um, you know, you've got, yeah. if you're, if you're kind of a found footage person, um, it's just, you want mad creepy vibes. What, what better than as above so below that takes place in the Paris catacombs. Um, you know, there's, there's classics uh, like Hellraiser. 
um, Hellraiser 2, Hellraiser 4 Bloodline, which is like Hellraiser in space. Um, all terrific Halloween wise. Uh, you know, there's just, but there's so many. I could go on and on. Uh, <laughs> a whole other podcast for for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, how, how did your Halloween go anyway? Did you, uh, did you do anything like... Cool. Yeah, like uh, this was a unique one. I've never, never gone to a concert on Halloween night. Oh, um, but, yeah. but fortunately, I mean, just the perfect, perfect set list for Halloween. There's a, a band called Necrot, uh, a band called Gate Creeper, but most, most importantly, and, and most notably would be Exhumed. Uh, and Exhumed is known for a very theatrical, uh, you know, stay uh, set and their all their music they're actually their most recent album is just titled horror and it's all about uh you know horror tropes and movies they love and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, and but there's you know there's their their mascot getting on stage in a like a bloody surgeon outfit with a, a saw blade you know and and just spraying sparks into the crowd and you know blood everywhere and yeah it was a uh, it was perfect uh, it was wow. one of one of the best halloweens i've ever had that's that sounds amazing. Like I, yeah, I've, a giant banana moshing. Uh, that was really fun. <laughs> yeah, I forget. I I just re- realized, like you know, surely at this concert they were definitely you know horror based costumes, but certainly there has to be some randomness out there. Probably seeing a banana moshing is definitely one of those. Um, that was terrific. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to visualize that right now, and I'm I'm sort of having trouble, but maybe maybe not really. Maybe my imagination isn't active enough. We'll just have to see. Um, yeah. <laughs> What is, uh, what's a toy that you really liked growing up? Man, uh, you know, I was attached to my Game Boy, if that counts. But, you know, there was, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, I was, I was such a a nerd. It was always just games, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was, I wasn't doing a whole lot else, to be honest. (laughs) You know what, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, I, I felt like super old the other day. And it was that like somebody shared a video uh, with me and it was, uh, their kid looking at, you know, one of the old school game boys, you know, the original ones that were like grayscale or whatever. Yeah. And the kid was looking at it and like, she was trying to, trying to like poke at it. And I was like, Oh no, Oh no. You think it's a touch device. Oh God. No. (laughs) (laughs) How can, why are you trying to do that? Why are you trying to ancient? 25 years removed from that. Oh God, dude, I can't believe, you know, the other day, one other gaming thing that, that went by the other day was like, I think, uh, was it like the Dreamcast like coming out the other day? I'm trying to remember. It was some kind of console thing. And I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot about old consoles. You know, I, I used to just, I got them all. And then uh, even the bad ones. And then I try to kind of try to forget it, try to try to forget about them. Like I had a Jaguar. Oh, oh God. God. That was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, definitely went down yeah. in history is notoriously terrible. But you, <laughs> you, you mentioned Dreamcast a second ago. That console ruled. Yeah. I, was an, I know crisis. Yeah. There you go. Well, you know what? I had, I always had a soft spot for Shenmue. Um, okay. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was one of those so bad it's good games. And, you know, it's, it's still so bad it's good. Even today, like a lot of people with the nostalgia today. Um, where that haven't come out really recently again. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, what's a, what's a favorite pet type do you have? Uh, I mean, I've always been a dog person. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my dog Eddie has been my best friend for, uh, almost 11 years now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but just have always loved dogs, mostly just the unconditional love. I don't have to try real hard with dogs. Uh, yep. I need instant affection and that, that really works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, for me, it's always been like a dilemma between, cats and dogs i would say like if i had to kind of pick i'd be more of a cat person but we 
you know, we have a, we have a dog right now and she's just, she's amazing. Even though, even though she's like close to 80 pounds and thinks she's a lap dog, <laughs> it's still cool. Um, even to have, even to have her around. So I uh, totally understand. Uh, I wish I had more of a, you know, a, a wider variety of pets to, to choose from, but you know, I really only ever owned a dog, but I, I yeah. think I would, I think I would really like a chameleon. Um, huh? I, I get like a, you know, they're, cause they're, they're, not super fast they they hang out you know and yeah. i think you know i'd like one i don't know name it like the butler and she's like this is the butler <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh <laughs> just like with his little gra- grabby little hands or something i don't know i think i think that would be super sick but hedgehogs are really cool too i'd like to own a rat uh nice. you know there's a, a whole lot of of you know pet ambition but right now i'm, I'm super basic and i just i'm a, a huge dog Oh God, you and my wife would get along so, so much. Cause like I didn't really grow up, grow up with anything except like birds and fish really. You know, I, I didn't even really have a cat until we got married, but, but she has had every pet under the sun. Yeah. All the pets that you mentioned, she's had, um, and like, yeah, chameleon, like rat, hairless rat. Um, and then, yeah, it was really, it was really bizarre, (laughs) but, um, but, but yeah. And then, you know, bearded dragons and iguanas and all sorts of stuff. I mean, she gets that from her parents. So, you know, she's had this wide variety. Meanwhile, I'm here, like I had a bird growing up, (laughs) Um, but I've, I've turned into, you know, pretty, you know, decent cat and dog lover, really love them, um, you know, and love who I have right now. So that's really cool. They're better than Um, humans. Yeah. Yeah. On some level. Yeah. (laughs) Better than some humans. Um, And last question that I want to ask you is what is the worst name that you could give a kid, Khaleesi. <laughs> yeah, now <laughs> I locked and loaded in my brain. I've been waiting to ask me that forever. Awful. Yeah. You, oh God. You know what? I you think about that, and it's just like uh, on on a certain level, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, it's like uh, it's like for sports teams. If you if you went ahead and like tattooed your 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 favorite team and then you said hey they they won the championship on this year and they ended up not winning it it's just something something like that you know um it's oh god yeah there's i can't think of a worse one than that (laughs) please don't please don't do that to your child (laughs) at least at least before you see the ending don't do it (laughs) yeah 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 i think there were probably way too many babies named khaleesi before they saw that that final season oh boy oh man big yikes yikes for sure so drew is it was a pleasure having you on man i appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us about customer success customer service your journey through the industry and and everything uh that that you've learned uh in in the things that you've done and and the positions you've held i know that you're going to be doing really cool things at lightstream um and uh and i know that your team is going to continue to be great because i know i've worked with you before so um Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And if you guys want to see more of Drew, you can follow him on Twitter at twitter.com slash Drewcifer the sixth. And if you want to see more of Lightstream, go to golightstream.com. Make sure you check out that website. Uh, make sure you check out the company. They are doing amazing things. And Drew, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh And yeah, I appreciate your time. And thanks everyone for listening again. And we will see you on the next episode. See you folks. Bye.